Building wealth isn't just about hustle and grind. Every day, huge deals are being made and a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward. Building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. What makes them different? They chose to break away, to build a mindset of abundance, to spot opportunities others overlook. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big, and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the founder of Create Tailwind and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. All right, welcome back to Breakaway Wealth Podcast. Today with me, I'm really excited to have Anna Myers. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for having me. So Anna is the vice president of Grow Capitus. Is that how you say that? That is, that's correct. So tell me, before we get into Grow Capitus and what you guys do and, and what you're doing out there to change the world, tell me a little bit about Anna. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Southern California, um, Los Angeles area. I was the youngest grandchild of a commercial real estate maverick. My, wow. my grandfather, um, used, he actually lived in Tampa, Florida, um, and then he moved to Southern California when he really saw like something was happening there. He sold everything he had, which wasn't much, and moved to LA and started flipping houses. Um, wow. And as he flipped, he was very entrepreneurial. He started developing a business and he was honky-tonking with the Hollywood you know, people and developed um, a very strong business and eventually started buying um, walnut groves and orange groves and developing shopping malls. So he very quickly moved into commercial real estate. Um, we had a commercial real estate office when I was growing up. So I just grew up with that as a foundation, as knowing that real estate provides um, a great source of wealth. Now, my grandfather, unfortunately, died of a heart attack when he was pretty young. He was in his, his um, he was about 64. And I'm being the youngest grandchild, didn't get a, a lot of time with him because mm. uh, I was very young when he died. However, the legacy that he left of real estate and the, the trust that he built one trust, for example, was to help the, the grandchildren go through college and to start us out with our own houses. And it was, you know, a shopping mall. So when that sold, I had to buy real estate in order to not pay taxes. Right. Um, so that was kind of my first foray as a young adult into um, figuring out rental housing and all that. But um, that was the foundation of, you know, where I grew up. My father's an architect. My, you know, my brother's an architect. So I grew up in a household that really believed in real estate and also it believed in being an entrepreneur. So um, I, from a very young age, wasn't looking to work for somebody else. I was looking to develop my own means of wealth and my own means of understanding business, which of course takes a long time. Um, and one thing they always told me growing up is it's not what you make, it's what you keep. So right. as I was developing my businesses, I was always looking for, you know, like I had an S corp in my twenties because I was always trying to shelter taxes and um, figure out how to do these things. So um, just really started out as an entrepreneur. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't go into real estate when I first started as a young adult. My father saw the um, trend in um, information technology and okay. he knew that I was a very strong thinker and problem solver which of course works great for real estate, but I became a programmer. So I was a computer programmer and then IT, I became a systems architect. So I went the technology route and did that for 20 years. 
um, and you know, loved that career. But what happened is the IT industry tanked in 2000. Um, everything was being outsourced to you know, India, Taiwan, China, and the, the, it was just every, the, the wages were terrible all of a sudden. So mm -hmm. I said, I, I'm not working for those wages. And my husband was in IT, and so he didn't have as many options as I did. So I did what anybody would do, and I started a photography studio. <laughs> so... <laughs> Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, I had always loved photography on the side, but felt like I couldn't pursue it. I'm kind of one of those people that's both art and science. So, um, and I, so I brought all of my business learning from uh, working in corporations and my IT learning, my, my computers, and started a digital photography studio. Hmm. So I'm a people person. I love working with people, love working with children and babies. So I did that and I was extremely successful at it. But what happened is... Being extremely successful, the um, U.S. government comes along and they want to take, they want to partner with you and take most of what you make. Yeah. So um, what I had to do is dig deeper into real estate because my, my taxes were ridiculous. I felt like I was just working to pay taxes. Like everything just went right back out in taxes. Um, so that was kind of a, a moment for me where I realized, you know, you've got to go back to that, you know, it's not what you keep, it's not what you make, it's what you keep, and use alternate forms, because the business plan I was working with didn't offer me any form of tax shelters, and it was not a good business model for several reasons. So, you know, one being that there was no tax benefits to me that I was able to really dig in on, and the second being that it wasn't scalable. So even though I loved photography and I was, you know, quite good at it, I was one of the top photographers in the Bay Area. Um, I decided I, I, this can't be my thing. And um, so I deliberately scaled out of photography into real estate full time. So I set a plan. And, and again, because real estate scales, real estate has all of the elements that I was looking for to create the life that I wanted as an entrepreneur. And I could still use my people skills. And I can take pictures anytime I want. I'm still a photographer. I just don't have to do it for my daily bread. Wow. That's awesome. So that's, what, part of, what part of Southern California? Um, the Valley, actually. San Fernando oh, really? Valley. Uh-huh. So I grew up in Inglewood. So we were on okay. the opposite sides of the... Uh, of, opposite uh, sides of the hill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but that was a long time ago. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I always tell people, by the way, one of the greatest things that you can do in this country is drive highway one from LA to San Francisco and take time and stop at, at the little towns. And that's uh, one of the coolest things I think you can do in this country. Yeah. And I would say, keep going after San Francisco all the way up to Eureka because that's really? amazing okay. territory up there. We, we love Mendocino and oh, those yeah, areas. Yeah. And then you get you get into some of the wine country. Oh. It's, it's amazing. I, that's my favorite part of, of uh, California. Although I do love Santa Barbara and right. uh, you know, San Diego. There's some great places down there too. So you got into real estate and kind of what was your, your, your process? Did you, you know, cause obviously you had a background, you were almost kind of born into the real estate business, right? Right. And, and, you know, you were in the real estate business before you even chose to be in the real estate business because of the trust that your grandfather set up. But where did you start in, in um, you know, what was your kind of progression in the real estate business? So um, when we, when he, when the trust dissolved, um, it, what they did something uh, where they were get, able to get it 
declared as eminent domain. So they sold it to a developer. This was a, a shopping mall. And because they wanted to create more benefits for us, the, the grandchildren, they knew that if they were able to get it um, eminent domain declared, instead of a 1031, we were able to do a 1033. And a 1033 has the benefits of you have two years to replace the property and you get to hold on to the money the entire time. So mm -hmm. you don't have a qualified intermediary. Now, the challenge of that time frame was that it was sold at the end of 2005. So we were in this bull rush, this, this you know, gangbuster time in real estate. Everything was top of market. And we had to complete our um, sale, our, our purchases to replace the, the money by December 31st, 2007. Mm. So think about that timing. Yeah. Very, very tough timing. So, yeah. um, so I bought several things. You know, I bought a rental in Diamond Head, Mississippi. I bought um, land in um, Reno that I, I parceled out. You know, I bought a farmhouse that, that was sitting on several um, acres and parceled it out to, to resell the land to developers. I bought a couple of condos in Portland. Now, because of that timing, two of those things didn't succeed because mm -hmm. it was just, it was a devastating time for, for many people. So I learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, I'm actually just selling those condos. Those survived in Portland, those, you know, but I ended up doing a short sale in Diamond Head. I ended up losing money to the, the real estate broker who ended up being a scam artist in, in Reno and he's actually in jail now. Wow. So, yeah, learned a lot of lessons, a lot, a lot of hard knocks because, you know, when you get out there and you do things, that's how you learn. And it just was a very perilous time at, um, that I went into it. So because of that, it held me back for a while because I, I, I was kind of licking my wounds there for, for a bit, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but then, as I said, I realized in my photography career that I had to go back to real estate. So then um, we, my husband and I, you know, started educating ourselves and decided we have to expand our portfolio at that time, my, um, my uh, credit score had rebounded from the, from the short sale. So mm -hmm. I was on top of my credit again. And then we, what we did is we, sold, we moved out of our house in the Bay Area that we'd had for 16 years. Our kids were off to college. So we moved out of that. We rented it out, okay? So we were renting out a different place, much smaller, because we didn't need all that space once our kids were gone. Then as two years hit that we were renting it out, we had the tenants move out, then we sold. Mm. What we did at that point is we created a hybrid vehicle. So we were able to take the 121 exclusion, which is as a married couple, the $500,000 that's tax-free. And because it was the Bay Area, we had more equity in the property beyond the 500,000. We had created a hybrid vehicle that was both primary um, house as well as an investment property the way the IRS looked at it. So be, uh, what we did then is we were able to 1031 the balance into an investment property. So that's what we did. We um, bought a duplex in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, I run that as an Airbnb now. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was a, a very successful way. Now then we were looking for additional properties and I was really digging in and looking at doing the birth strategy and investigating all these markets and um, just trying to be really smart about what to do next. Uh, and then I uh, took a class on multifamily. And that's when I realized, like, this is the way. Like, no more of this looking for single families 
and trying to like, you know, look for a single family that I can make a hundred dollars a, a month off of. Because then if, if you lose your tenant and your tenant, you know, might, you know, or that water heater breaks or that, you know, the tenant does something bad to you, you lose all your money for the year. Yeah. And it's very hard. It is not, again, it's that scalability is what I was always looking for. Um, and because of my background in financial programming, I was always creating these very elaborate spreadsheets and um, always analyzing deals and analyzing markets. I had all of these spreadsheets looking at markets and trying to understand where the best market in the U.S. was because I've never invested other than my primary house. I've never invested where I live because I live in the right. Bay Area, you right, know? Right, yeah. So, um, so anyway, I took a class on multifamily and that's where um, I, really, I really figured out this, this was my thing. And I, uh, in that class, I was with Neil Bawa. Um, it was an e-boot camp. I took the class. And during that class, he asked, he said, hey, I need people to volunteer to write a deal analyzer. And I was like, me, I've got my backgrounds in financial programming. I'd like to be on that team. Um, then when I had my one-on-one -on -one with him, because the boot camp includes a one-on-one, -on -one, I said to him, I volunteered. I just want you to understand my background in financial programming. I led like worldwide teams of programmers. I, you know, I've, I've done, been a systems architect and he says, great, you're my team lead. And I'm like, wow. oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so I took that on. I'm like, great. I'm your volunteer team lead on to, with this ragtag band of people that are, you know, want to be part of this. And we um, developed, we're working on developing this, this deal analyzer to analyze in uh, multifamily buildings. And in the process of that, I was interacting with Neil and doing what I do, you know, giving the information about here's where we are with the project. This is what's going on. Here's some, some personality conflicts that, are them, that I'm managing in the background. And uh, he, he emailed me back and he said, I just want you to know, I don't care if the deal analyzer gets made. I want to work with you. Hmm. And I was like, wow, what? Um, so we, he, I started volunteering and doing some additional things. One thing led to another and he hired me on as an acquisition specialist, working with him as you know, to acquire multifamily around the nation, amazing opportunity. Um, and then from there, um, because I guess of my entrepreneurial background and a lot of skills that I bring to the pot, I went from that to the becoming the uh, director of acquisitions and then the vice president of the company. So I've moved very fast up the ladder. In that time frame, Neil and I have partnered together to purchase, uh, let's see, as of Thursday, it will be almost 800 units um, wow. in, um, in a very short time. Um, that's in five properties across three states in the U.S., um, bringing tremendous value for our investors as well. You know, that's awesome. And I like the fact that sometimes, um, thank you for sharing, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's great information. And I like that you talked about the multifamily because that's one of the things that we talk about is, if you have single family homes and you have vacancies or it, it, it hurts a lot more than if it's a multifamily and, um, and one person moves out or there's one problem because of the cash flows better. Yeah. Um, but you know, you did this in a pretty quick amount of time. And sometimes, you know, I'm 53, I get clients and people come in and they're 55, 65 and they think, well, you know, it's past my time. I can't do that you know, and still have passive income in my quote retirement years. And I always tell them that it doesn't take that long. You no, know, it so. doesn't. It, it, it doesn't because you're layering them on and, and, you know, there's the opportunity with multifamily to be on both sides of it. You can be a passive investor as well as an active investor. 
And, and most, I mean, I recommend that most people do both. I mean, I'm both passive investors in some deals as well as active investor in another. Um, multifamily is just such a huge opportunity. Again, it has the tax benefits that are just so crazy good, even as a passive investor. Yeah. Um, so many people, I think, because, because a multifamily is kind of a big fish to take down, right. um, I think that a lot of people start as passive investors because you learn so much being part of the, the passive side where you're getting the monthly updates and you're really seeing what, what is this like? You know, how does this work? Now, um, for us, we also have a, an education portal in addition to acquiring, uh, to, uh, being syndicators, uh, active syndicators, we also have an education portal that teaches people how to, to be an active investor, how to buy multifamily. Um, so that's been really great. And I actually, I teach the underwriting for that um, multifamily boot camp that we do quarterly. I also teach a free uh, monthly underwriting um, uh, webinar. So I'm very, very engaged and involved with people that want to learn how to analyze deals. And then we also teach people how to raise money, um, you know, everything that has to do with how to acquire an apartment building, how to talk to brokers, how do you get your property managers? All of these are really important. And one of the most important things is how do you pick your markets? Now, we're both Neil and I are technologists in our background. And I think that's why we really gel um, because we're both data scientists and we apply data science to real estate. We don't just look at cash flow and say, oh, this is, this is a good deal because the cash flow looks good. It all starts, especially with multifamily, with the market. So we analyze markets, and I, I love doing that. Again, it goes back to my background of all those spreadsheets I used to do. And now I have access to incredible information as well as an incredible mentor. So we're looking at jobs and population and you know, poverty level and unemployment and median household income. And we do this huge mashup. And that's how we, we target. Generally, it's about 80 markets that we're looking at in the, across the United States. Um, some of them are really obvious ones that many people are in. And others, we're, we're looking at the, some underlying trends and seeing markets that might, other people might not have their eyes on because mm -hmm. they're just not noticing what's going on with that market. So by doing these different mashups, we're able to do that. And that's something we bring to our investors is that data science and that discipline. Um, we get deals brought to us all the time from operators that want to work with us. Um, but the first thing I do is I look at the address. You know, where is it? Not only am I looking at the metro to say, you know, what's going on in the metro, you know, Atlanta, Knoxville, Louisville, you know, whatever. But then if I like the metro, then I'm looking at the neighborhood. I'm looking at the address and I'm looking at the census track to see yeah. what's going on in that exact space. So it has to cross several big hurdles for us in order for me to even look at the cash flow. I don't even want to see the underwriting until I've vetted the, um, the location because location is critical. Markets are going to change. We've been having this upswing in this market for a long, long time. We all know at some point it's going to change. It's normal for it to change. But if you're in a very strong market and you've got very strong fundamentals, that market is going to swing a little better with the changes than a market that maybe only has one, bit main, one main employer in town. And if that main employer doesn't do well with the market changes, then you're going to lose tenants because they've all lost their job. So um, those underlying fundamentals are crucial. And, and, and again, it's, it's one of the ways as data scientists, we, are a, uh, we bring a different game to, to multifamily and, and investing. You know, that what you, you said this earlier and you said it just again with the, the classes that you offer is it's education. 
Yes. Is, this is not give your money to a broker and have, and you, I mean, you can do passive investing. I would recommend it doing it in real estate, but in Wall Street, you're, you're really in trouble because the way that they're paid in Wall Street is they're not in the same boat you are. All they have to do is hold on to your assets. There's so many things that are wrong with that industry. And I was part of it for uh, too long is, um, but you, you have to educate yourself. And right. so you, it sounds like you guys have something online where if I didn't know anything about multifamily investing or really investing in real estate at all, that I could go on to your website and I could learn and decide if this is right for me or not. Absolutely. So there's two, two prongs to that. Um, so on growcapitus.com, G-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-U-S.com, you can get to our education portal, which is multifamily you multifamilyu.com. On multifamilyu, you'll see that we have webinars that we teach. Every week, there's two or three activities going on. It's either Neil or I that's presenting um, great content about multifamily. It's very depth, very deep um, educational content. It's not fluffy. Um, and then we also bring in third-party presenters. For example, we bring in CPAs, we bring in syndication lawyers, we bring in um, lenders that, to talk about multifamily. And they're talking about, in, in the case, for example, of the lender, if you're a first-time multifamily per buyer, maybe you've got a bunch of single families and you want to go multifamily, what's the best loan for you? What do you need? What type of property should you be looking for so that you can qualify? So we're always trying to help people. Now, that's all completely free content that you can just engage with us and learn. And then for people that want to take it the next level, quarterly we teach the multifamily you boot camp. Um, mm, so that's okay. another, you know, so then that's the next level, which is a paid part. And there's a lot of benefits to that. So besides getting a much more um, in-depth set of, of information, you also get to be part of like a network of existing boot campers that are doing deals together. Um, you're part of the, you get to be part of our secret society, Facebook, and there's people interacting, sharing information, sharing deals. Um, just the other day, there was four boot camp students who had never met each other before. And in fact, they were from different boot camps. They didn't take the same boot camp together, hmm. but through networking, they just closed a deal in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. They purchased, I think it was like a 50 unit building together. Wow. So they did that as a joint venture. And I think it was syndicated to a certain extent, but they, they, to go in, I think there was a lot of their own money. And now that they've got that um, as a track record, they're looking to syndicate for the next one, you know, to more use other people's money. Because you do need a track record and you do need to learn your lessons. Um, but one thing I've learned in, in the past, you know, two years, especially since becoming part of multifamily, is the power of partnering. Right. I was, I was always, you know, again, it's about leverage, right? Yep. And, you know, so the, the two concepts of, of using other people's money, right, responsibly, so that you can leverage out of your own. Now you're providing them a great service as well because you're providing them access to an investment they wouldn't normally have access to and partnering with other people. Those two things were extreme game changers for me. Once I opened up to the power of those two things. Yeah, you know, that's uh, interesting because the collaboration is, is key. Dan Sullivan, strategic coach, I don't know if you're familiar with him, um, out of Toronto, but he, his, uh, his kind of message, and he writes a new book every 90 days. They're not real long books or anything, but one of them that just came out in the last six months was who not, or I'm sorry, who not how. And wow. it's like, who are you going to collaborate with? Not how are you going to do something that you're not an expert in, right? That's right. And, 
and collaboration is so important and that's uh so i would encourage everybody to go on and look at the free stuff and then decide yeah. if you want to do the the paid stuff and um everybody's there's so many people out there that are looking for an avenue to learn yeah. and you know anna one of the things that's kind of a hot topic out there that people want to know about but i haven't found a lot of people that do and i think that you are an expert in this area is opportunity zones tell us oh, yeah. a little bit about opportunity zones um, sure. So opportunity zones are, as you said, it's an extremely hot topic right now, but not a lot is well understood about it in the general public. Mm -hmm. So we see it as, as a, a once in a lifetime, really opportunity. So what is this thing? So what, where did it come from? It came from the tax law that was passed in 2018. And um, it was a group of people, um, you know, actually it was, it was bipartisan. So it was Republican and Democrat and an outside person that came together to, they wanted to help um, areas in America that um, were underserved or, you know, their, their, their populations were, had lower incomes. Um, but so, so they wanted to create areas in America to encourage people to invest in, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds good. So in the process of doing that, they created some parameters and then had the state senators, sorry, the state governors determine within their area, within their state, they needed to define opportunity zones. And today there are 8,700 opportunity zones in the United States. So that's a huge number, first of all. Wow. That's the yeah. first thing that we all need to understand. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, which many people would assume is like, why would I have, there's gotta be no opportunity zones in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Wrong. There are opportunity zones in Oakland. There mm. are opportunity zones in San Jose. There are opportunity zones in San Francisco. So you um, need, just need to look and you'll find the opportunity zone. So who cares? What, you know, what is this thing opportunity zone? Well, what happens when you have a, a property in an opportunity zone there needs to first of all be a capital transaction. So if you own a property that happens to be in an opportunity zone, you, you can't take advantage of the tax incentives unless there is a capital transaction. So let's just get that clear. But if you buy a property in the opportunity zone, it needs to first of all be through a fund. So mo most people are doing it through big development companies, okay? Mm -hmm. So you're doing it through a fund, so you're buying into a fund. So here's what you can do you're able to sell, bring in a capital gain from another asset, such as not just real estate, of course, real estate counts, maybe a single family house you're selling, an apartment building, but also stocks you were selling. You could be selling a piece of artwork. You could be selling a business. All of these things you would move, you can move into the Opportunity Zone Fund, okay? When you move it into the Opportunity Zone Fund, then you are able to do three things. First, you are able to defer paying taxes, all right? So you don't need to pay the capital gain on that taxes for seven years if you came in in this year. So that's pretty big, right? You're deferring it. Yep. Second, if you get in by December 31st of 2019, that gives you seven years before the year 2027, you're gonna step down in your basis to 85% of the capital gain is what you would owe instead of 100%. Well, that's kind of significant, but yeah you know, is it worth it, right? Well, here's the big one. Number three, any, uh, any um, gain on the actual property, it has to be held for 10 years. So the gain on that 10-year hold is tax-free 
forever. Mm. Wow. So it's not like a 1031 where, you know, you have to keep moving it from thing to thing. Like I'm shuffling, you know, this like shell game that we play with 1031s to move around our stuff. Yeah. It is tax-free forever. So once you get that money out, no taxes on it. And 10, year is, 10 years is a really nice hold time. So you're paying lower taxes on the gain you're bringing into it, which is a benefit, of course, deferring the time when you need to pay it. But then the big one is the new gain is tax-free forever. So now here's the other thing. In, in order for the Opportunity Zone to qualify, okay, this is what the Opportunity Zone Fund has to do. Say they're buying a property that is a million dollars and it's, there's a building on it and then there's land. Say the, the building is worth 400000 and they de determine the land is worth 600000 mm -hmm. Well, the Opportunity Zone Fund needs to now spend the same amount of money that the building is worth to, to bring up the property, right? So right. They, they need to bring in another $400,000 to improve the property. And they have to do that within a 30-month period, okay? So there's all these, like, these things that people need to do. So it's very important when you're looking at getting into an Opportunity Zone Fund that you're working with people that understand all of these rules and understand the timelines. Because just like a 1031, if one thing isn't done right, they're going to say, sorry, yeah. you don't get any of the benefits. Yeah. But if you are with people who are doing it right, and you should, when you're looking at Opportunity Zone Fund, you should be vetting the Opportunity Zone Fund, um, then you have, there's huge benefits. Now, what are some of the things you should be looking at on an Opportunity Zone Fund? First of all, track record, obviously. Now we're partnering, uh, we're very in invested in opportunity zones and we're actually looking at 12 different projects right now. Of course, we're bringing our data science to it. So we're only looking at key markets. Now, remember I mentioned that these are markets that, that may not be, some of them may be blighted, but not all of them. Oakland's not blighted. San Francisco's not blighted. We're looking at you know places in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. That doesn't wow. seem like an area that's blighted to me. Right, so, right. So we're looking for, you know, there's that 80-20 rule. So that 20% of opportunity zones that will, that will succeed, that will go up, right? Because not all of them will. The other thing we're looking for is we're looking for developers with a track record. Now, developers, as you know, what do they do? They build things, they sell things, and they go, right? Yep. But in this case, they've got to hold it. Remember, mm. you yep. have to hold it. So we're not looking for a developer that has no experience in holding because that's not necessarily a good fit, especially holding in an area. Remember, it's an opportunity zone, so it might be an area that's a little bit challenging, all right? Even if it's going to be, succeed, sure. there's going to be some challenges potentially in the first five years. Yep. So you need somebody with experience and a long-time track record. Their business model is that they hold. It's not something new for them. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll hold it. No worries. No, no, no. This is what we do. This is what we always do. We build and we hold. Right. So that's really important. And it's one of the key things you should different that will differentiate different developers. So that's awesome. I, I really appreciate that. I think everybody uh, listening um, just learned something there in the last whatever number of minutes about opportunity zones. Is that something also? So part of Grow Capitus is I could be in, get involved in opportunity zones. Absolutely. If I wanted to and, and, and really um, uh, uh, take your, get your uh, expertise and your firm's expertise um, by doing that, right? Absolutely. Because that's, uh, that's incredible. 
Yeah, and, and let me tell you another thing. Again, we're, we're, we're wacky data scientists and the way we look at things. So let me tell you another differentiator that we bring to opportunity zones. So if you consider an opportunity zone as, as a, a, you know, a, a, an area that's a square, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and, let's, and assume that we're looking for an opportunity zone, of course, that's in a good area. So these areas around it are areas that are doing much better, right? Yep. And so what we're looking for is we don't, we're not interested in, in, in a property that's in the middle here. We're like, mm -mm, not interested. We're looking for ones that are on the edges. Makes sense. Because if it's on the edge, there's a much greater chance that it's going to be absorbed into the surrounding area that is doing so much better. So it's right. going to, so the cap rate's going to go down. And, and I think, you know, we, we heard from Paul Moore what happens with cap rates, right? Yep. When, when commercial property, you're, you're driving your net operating income, your cap rate goes and you get that cap rate compression effect yep. and, and your value of that commercial property just shoots through the roof. So again, we're, we're kind of like mad scientists, the way that we apply our discipline to real estate and, and we're real innovators in, in how we do it. And, and we're, we show our investors, here's our thoughts. Here's what we think. I mean, does that make sense to you to, to, to invest on the edges of opportunity zones? Makes to, sense to me. Yeah, makes sense, right? But who would think of that? Neil Bauer. That's who thinks of stuff like that. Neil, these things just come out of his head. You know, you know I, love, <laughs> I love people that think differently than I yeah. think. And, um, you know, I have a couple of business partners. One of my business partners is an engineer, and he's always building spreadsheets. I'm yeah. not a spreadsheet guy. So, but I, but I'm not the guy to build the spreadsheet, but I want to see the data that's on the spreadsheet. So yeah. uh, I, I always think matching up personality. So if, you, if you're out there in the audience and you think, okay, I'm a doctor or I'm a, a business owner and I, you know, I know how to do what I do, but I don't have to know how to do these other things. You know, I think Anna has shown, shown us here in, in the last uh, 20, 30 minutes uh, or whatever it's been that, that she and her firm have really figured this out. That's really cool and exciting. I mean, I don't yeah, know how you we, listen. We have got so many amazing projects for, for Opportunity Zones. So yeah. exciting. Uh, as I, I mentioned, we got 12 that I'm working on right now on the underwriting and wow. just incredible. So, so we're, we're starting to put our, our, our projects out. I assume by the time that, that this podcast goes live, that we'll have a pretty significant um, showing on growcapitus.com that yep. details out um, how, to, how to engage with us on Opportunity Zones and get involved with, with our company and how we're doing this serious vetting and in then engaging in these amazing projects that we're getting on. Again, Opportunity Zone Edges, that's what yeah. we're into. Well, Anna, it's obvious how you've uh, moved up in, uh, in that company so fast because your mindset is very, uh, you know, thinking big, nothing's in the way, how to find the, you know, how to find the niche in something and make money in it and have fun at the same time. Because yeah. I, I really appreciate your passion uh, in this and that comes through loud and clear. So, you know, that, that had to be instilled in you as, as, uh, as you grew up, but throughout that time, whether it's real estate or just in life, what's the, what's the best advice somebody ever gave you? Um, you know, I, 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 I think I really relished the entrepreneurial spirit that was instilled in me by my family. So I didn't have to break out of the mold of, that I need to get a job and, and go the traditional route. In fact, they encouraged me to not do that. And yeah. especially as a woman, I think that was a real game changer for me. Um, 
as it was a young woman, as a programmer, I, I was always the only woman in the room. And guess what? Commercial real estate, it's, it's not that much different. But, um, you know, just having the strength to go to do your thing and believe in yourself and having the confidence to educate yourself and move forward. And remember, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I, uh, what's that quote? There's a quote, no, I can't even remember where it's from, but it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep, how long you keep it for, mm-hmm. and how many generations you can impact. Absolutely. And I, you learned that from a very young age with I, your grandfather, who mm-hmm. was impacting generationally, which is, uh, you know, you can make all the money in the world and have all the things in the world that you want, but impacting the future generations, I mean, that's where you know, really, that's where that pride, I'm sure your grandfather is, uh, is, uh, is very proud of the, of the family, and especially you, and what you're Thank doing you. in real estate, and taking it to another yeah. level that he probably ever thought about, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm all about that with our, with our children and grandchildren as well, is creating that legacy um, yeah. for, to keep moving forward. And, and part of my, even my grandfather's legacy is a charitable trust. So besides looking out for our family, there's a trust that's, that's still live today that every year, all of the income that comes in from those properties is um, d- you know, divided up between different trusts, every, different charities every year. And that's something I'm extremely proud of too, that he had that vision. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think that's so important. And that's something that I, I'm looking to, to um, carry forward as well. You know, once I get my footing in all of this is, you know, it, it's not just about what we have for ourselves. It's about what we can do for others. And, and first, you know, our family, of course, and then the world. I mean, we're here yeah. as shepherds for the, for the earth, and there's so much good we can do. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I think that real estate can, can provide that vehicle and um, give us all a lot of wealth and ability to do good. That's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I'm excited. I don't have somebody would not listen to, to you over the, and not get excited enough to go check out this website and check this out. One last question I like to ask everybody, um, Anna, is what are one or two books that you recommend everybody read? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a person that's very in the moment. I try to be very mindful. Um, and, and so because of that, often the books that I'm reading now are, are like my favorite books. Right. And um, so um, a book that I, I, I'm just finishing is um, Raising Private Capital by Matt Faircloth. Okay. And one of the reasons I really like that is because um, he really teaches you how to be creative in using money. And, in, and, and, you know, and, and responsible and using other people's money. And a lot of it is on smaller deals. And that's how maybe some of your listeners might be starting out. They yep. might not be starting out with 200 unit buildings. They might be starting out with you know, uh, leveraging um, small multis or even single families, et cetera, doing private lending. So how, you know, if you wanna be a private lender, what, should you, what type of paperwork should you set up? So it works on both sides. So I think that that is a, a, a really good book for people that are trying to understand what is this other people money thing and how do I get in on it from both sides of it? So that's definitely one I, I like a lot. And then another one that just is um, always a, a good one for me is uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Um, let's see, Eric Barker is, okay. is his name. Um, and uh, it's really uh, talks about success and really turns everything on its head. Like he really dives in in a scientific way into everything we thought we knew about various things. And it really... Um, it really makes you think. And again, uh, I like that, you know, things that are outside of the box that really um, cause us to move in new ways. Well, you know what I like, Anna, is a lot of times people give books that a lot of people have read 
And those are two books. I haven't read those two books and I try to read a lot of stuff. So I do too. I try and read uh, a lot of stuff. I get to go uh, buy two new books and read and learn something there. Um, but I like that. Uh, you know, I like, I like that, you know, a lot of times we get, you know, rich dad, poor dad, right. which is a great book by the way, but of course, absolutely. Um, you know, we just did a thing on think and grow rich and I, um, um, we're going to put it on the members area of our website, but you know, you think of that old book from 1937, I think, but the six steps on how to get what you want. Right. And yeah. somebody, you know, I, I ask a lot of people, have you read that book? And they say, yeah, I read that book. Did you put the six steps in place on anything? Well, no. Do you remember what the six steps are? No. You know, you got to read it and then you got to implement it. Right. Yes. And, and I think that's a key, but, uh, well, um, I, I don't know how anybody doesn't want to find out more after that, Anna, and I really appreciate your time and your knowledge and your passion. Um, um, you've been a great guest. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. It's been great being here. Wonderful to spend this time with you. Thank you. And until next time, audience, uh, if you want to find out more about Anna and her program, go to uh, growcapitalist.com and you can go from there. And I would encourage everybody to uh, listen to the free stuff and decide if you want to do the boot camp. I'm going to do the same. And if you go check to creativewind.com. Check I? out our deals. We've, we always have lots Absolutely. of deals coming up. Yeah. So once you engage with us, and again, that's part of learning, right? You know, Absolutely. once you sign up with us, you will potentially learn about our deals that we have coming up because we have lots of great multifamily deals. Uh, we're, and then we're getting into the opportunity zone. So, you know, part of that can be your learning. Even if you're not looking to invest with other people, you want to start to get to know how do people put together these deals? Right. So start, start watching that stuff as well. That's great. That's awesome. And Anna, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And I would like to have you on again and uh, talk some more about yeah. dive in a little deeper on one of these subjects. And, and so That's we'll great. do that in the future. And Thank you again. Until next time, I'm Jim Oliver. Thank you. Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.